travel isn't for everybody. And my own sister, when I was telling her about it, when I first called her and said, look, I need to tell you, we're about to take this adventure. We're going to be gone for nine months. We're traveling around the world. And she says, oh, wow, I'd rather be drowned in a bathtub. (laughs) (laughs) The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 256. At a whopping 278 feet, the world's largest Christmas tree is found in Rio de Janeiro, and it's over three times larger than the one in New York's Rockefeller Center. Come on, New York, up your game. Even Phoenix has a bigger Christmas tree. Buying gifts really is an art, and some people are very, very good at it, and some people, like myself, are not so great at it. See, when I'm buying someone a gift... I want to start with a list. I want to know what they like. I want some specifics because I'm not the type of person who can go out, find these really unique, crazy, awesome gifts that they'll love, you know, spur of the moment and just by myself. So I like to start with a list. And that's why once again, we've put together the best gifts for travelers gift guide. 46 of the best gifts ranging every budget from under a dollar all the way up to over $1,500. All types of cool things on there once again this year. So if you're someone who is also looking for gifts for a traveler or you're a traveler yourself and you want some gifts, make sure you check that out. Extrapackofpeanuts.com slash gifts. You can find 46 of the best gifts. We've scoured the internet to find those for you. Once again, one of our favorite posts that we put together every single year. And at the top of that list for me is always luggage. You know, we got to make sure that you have great luggage if you're a traveler. It's probably the number one most important thing. So if you're looking for an awesome piece of luggage, if you're looking for the best carry-on backpack that you can find, Tortuga has outdone themselves with their brand new Tortuga Outbreaker backpack. You can check that out at tortugabackpacks.com. That's also on the gift guide at extrapackofpeanuts.com slash gifts. However you go to that website, don't forget, though, to use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capitals, because that will get you 10% off your entire order. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sher, and joining me today are three people who have eaten Khao Soy in Chiang Mai, Shavapi in Sarajevo, and the incredible sandwiches at Al Antico, Dave and Al in Florence, and who, in order to push their family to the limits and save a few dollars, decided to take a nine-hour bus journey from Bangkok to Cambodia instead of paying uh, about $100 or so to fly. Suzanne, Mitch, and Luke Rutledge from RutToTheLedge.com. Guys, all three of you, thanks for joining me today and welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Yeah, we got lucky and we got Luke while he wasn't in school because it's Columbus Day when we're recording this. So all three of you guys joining me today on the podcast, I think this is the first time we've had three people on at once. So 
setting new records here on the Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast. And uh, we'll be covering a lot today, stuff about why you decided to take your round-the-world trip, um, what family, friends, coworkers thought, how you kept costs down. We're actually able to do a family round-the-world trip on a budget because typically when we talk about budget travel, it's you know one person or, or a couple or something like that. And what it was like like to come back home and kind of readjust to quote-unquote normal life because a lot of people don't just take this gap year. And if they do, it's as a young person before college, right after college, but you guys did it as a family. Um, so that's really neat. But first, and your family is uh, obviously very fo- fond of fine foods, I'm going to make you guys make a hard choice right off the bat. No one's escaping here. What was the number one thing you ate on the entire trip? I know. Go ahead. The sandwiches in Florence, those were so good. They were, and they were huge. <laughs> All right, so Luke, sandwiches in Florence at Alan Tico David. Now, I, I mean, listen, they're one of my top three things I've ever eaten. So good choice. What about you guys, Mitch and Suzanne? Any, any different or no? Is that just number so, one for everyone? So many great, uh, so many great ones. I'll tell you one. We, uh, Croatia. We were up in the the northern part of Croatia, and uh, and. Uh, a town called Motovan, and we had an amazing, they're known for truffles up there. And we went to this amazing little restaurant, Mondo Canoba, amazing truff, truffle everything. And it was so fantastic. That's a great memorable meal. And I'm going to take a cue from you, honorable mention. Uh, totally gelato. fair. Totally fair. Gel- All three of us is honorable mention gelato. gelato. Yes. All right. Do you, did you have a favorite gelato or just gelato as a whole? Oh, in Dubrovnik, um, in Croatia, um, every time we went down there, every day, they would like give us free ice cream. And on the last day, my parents said we had to pay them. So we had to like shove the money in their hands. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> that is awesome. That's awesome. Well, it's always great to have someone like you, Luke, involved because I found that whenever I'm with other families who are traveling, it's always the younger people who are going around and getting free food, you know? That's like everyone thinks they're cute. Here's free food. Here's free food. And then hopefully your parents, you shared a little bit with your parents, right? Like one leg. (laughs) (laughs) We taught him a, a very good saying in Italy. We said, look, you need to learn how to say, may I please have a scoop of strawberry gelato? And if you say it in Italian, they'll be so impressed that you'll get a really big scoop. And it really worked. Or two. <laughs> that is awesome. So, Suzanne, um, any of your favorite foods? Or was it just falling in line with those guys? Licks no, of gelato? and uh... I have to say, we spent an entire week in Lyon. And I'm not sure I can pick one specific restaurant because we ate our way through that town. All the Bouchons in Lyon were amazing and a little frightening at first. But once we got to know the menus and were a little bit adventurous, we just adored it. It was delicious. Yeah, it seems like you guys just ate your way through the entire nine-month trip, which is exactly what Heather and I do every time we travel. So kindred spirits on that. How did you first get bit with the travel bug? Was this something that for you, Susanna Mitch, came later in life? Or had you been traveling quite a bit even before this trip? Well, Mitch and I got the opportunity to live overseas. Um, Before Luke was born, we lived two years in London. And so just being in London, having that be our jumping off point to Western Europe, we had so much fun traveling almost every single weekend. Um, And we, that sort of 
began our love for travel. And then after Luke was born, we decided we needed to test the waters with him to make sure that he would like it too. And I did. Yes. Thankfully, we took him on his first international trip when he was four and he did fantastic. I mean, to London. Yes. Back to London. Better than we could have ever expected. And um, so that from there, we just really wanted to see more of the world. And we looked for opportunities to travel, but you know, there's just never enough time when you only have two or three weeks vacation. So we met a girl um, when Mitch and I were traveling in Chile in 2014. We met a girl who was traveling around the world on her own. And that just fascinated me. I mean, blew my mind. I just thought, I'm not sure we've ever considered that, just being a family and raising a child. But the more we thought about it, after we met her and contemplated it, we thought, I think we might be able to do this. So we just really worked hard to make it happen. And all the pieces fell into place for this trip. Yeah, let's talk about that working hard. What did you have to do? Because it's a long way from meeting someone in Chile who's younger. Who's like, yeah, I'm around on the round the world trip. She was probably like Australian or something because they all go all around the world all the time. But like to then actually say, all right, cool. That sounds great. We didn't consider it. We want to do it. But now we actually have to figure out how to do it. What did that look like both with the planning and with with the big question? You know, the elephant in the room is always the, the work. Like how were you able to get enough time off work or transition enough to be able to take this what ended up as nine months around the world. Yeah. So turning 40 is a big thing. You'll be there soon enough. Uh, and, and it, you, you know, start to reflect, right? Maybe this is sort of a call it the midlife life crisis, but it was just saying, you know, if not now, when, and let's not wait till we retire and, you know, let's just do it. So, um, we just started, you know, the big, so we have a home, right? Mortgage, all those kind of big things. So that's sort of the big question is how do you manage that side of it? And doors just started to open. We actually had uh, some close friends that were about to do a big renovation of their house and they needed a place to live. So wow, all of a sudden we have someone to rent our house for us and people we trust and take care of it. So that was sort of a big burden off our backs. And on the job front, um, you know, candidly, we just took a leap of faith and, and um, you know, essentially quit our jobs. And just said, you know, there'll be jobs. We'll find something when we get back. And it's all, you know, we're back now and Suzanne and I are both working. So it really worked out well. And we just, um, both of our companies were very, uh, I think, surprised but supportive of us when we went to do it. Uh, The company that I worked for was very supportive in the sense that they said, look, we can't guarantee you a job when you get back, but we'll absolutely do what we can. You're, you, you know, you've supported us for many years. So we'll do what we can when we get back. And Suzanne's was the same way. So, you know, so that was sort of the impetus of, of let's doing it, let's do it. Um, and then the planning part, you know, people have said, Oh, wow, how did you plan nine months? And, and we, we, you know, we did, I think what you hear so many places, I think we read it on boots and all, which was okay, build your why, right? What's your why? And then Suzanne and I both built independent wish lists, right? Don't, don't show me yours. I, I'm not going to show you mine. Let's build our list. And then we compared them, you know, surprisingly, that's when you sort of know you're with someone. I don't know. I felt like our list matched up pretty well. We were probably 70% overlap. So it's like, okay, great. We want to go to the same places. And then we, we really sort of defined some anchor spots, right? Here's some anchors around the world that we're going to go do, right? We had friends in Australia. We we're going to go see, right? We wanted to go work at the elephant park in Thailand. We wanted to go work at an orphanage in Kenya. So we had these kind of probably eight anchors around the world 
and then you you just kind of fill in along the way, and it uh, it was amazing, and it worked out. Now, did you let Luke make his wish list too, or is it just the parents who had the wish list? Well, they had a wish list, but I was in one. I got to say one place because at school we have a world languages class, and we were learning about Spain, and I really wanted to go to Spain, so I went to Barcelona. Oh, not a really good choice. There you go. Awesome. Well, that's really neat. Now, when you guys were planning, and, and you mentioned some things were falling into place, were there any times, though, that you almost bailed on the idea? Like, whether it was like, hey, this isn't going to work out financially, or this is just too big of a thing to take on, or, or obstacles that came up that almost waylaid it? Or was it once you put it in motion, you're like, well, oh, there's no turning back. We're just going to go with it. I think until we were, there was doubt until we um, found someone to rent our house. Until then, it was like, well, we can't do this if we, you know, we can't cover mortgage and cover traveling, you know, for nine months or however long we chose to do it. And so that was really the, well, I don't know, maybe it's a dream, maybe it won't happen. But as soon as, you know, it's one of those things, right? the doors just opened that we had these friends that were, you know, this is how it goes. They were struggling to find a place to rent that they in our town. And we heard this, the wife was telling Suzanne, Oh, we're really struggling. Do you have any ideas on places to rent? And Suzanne in the back of her mind is like, uh, maybe let me get back to you. And she came home <laughs> ding, and said, ding, ding. she said, Oh my gosh, I found someone to rent our house. And I said, you know, if you tell her this, it's happening, we're going, right? Because we can't back out on them. And so it just, that was when we were like, it's happening. I think that's a really important lesson that we hear a lot in theory, but then it's great to hear it actually happen to someone in real life is if you just put the intention out there and if you say, all right, we're going to do this. And even if you don't know how, and 99% of the time you don't know how, you just know you want to. That all this stuff opens up because if you hadn't planned on going around the world or, or even actually sat down and said, yeah, this is something we really want to do, she would have said, oh, do you know anyone that wants to rent this place? And Suzanne, you probably would have been like, oh, I don't know anyone. I'll keep my ears out. And then boom, you know, three hours later, you forget about it. And that's that. But because you were in tune with it, all of a sudden, it just works out. That's right. Exactly. And and that was just the first of many open doors. I mean, like Mitch mentioned, our jobs were very understanding and I mean, I was amazed at our friends and our community have been amazed. And I think it's encouraging to people to say, you know, you're not locked into that job forever. You if you say that you want to do whatever your adventure looks like, a lot of times people are understanding and they're encouraging and they want you to fulfill that dream. So I think it was good for us to take the leap and to show other people that it can be done and you can still have a life when you get back. You haven't thrown everything away. Were, were there any people, and you don't have to mention them by name or anything like that, but was there anyone that either wasn't supportive or kind of was a detriment to actually getting this going? Because you said the jobs were um, you know, all supportive, and even if they, you didn't have a job when you came back, they were going to help you out, and a lot of people. But what, were there those people like, oh, you can't do this? Like, even if they didn't mean it in the way that it came out. You know, no one ever said we couldn't do it. Everyone was super supportive, although they were surprised. However, the funniest response that we got, because travel isn't for everybody. And my own sister, when I was telling her about it, when I first called her and said, look, I need to tell you, we're about to take this adventure. We're going to be gone for nine months. We're traveling around the world. And she says, oh, wow, I'd rather be drowned in a bathtub. <laughs> 
She was like, that was the furthest thing from her comfort zone, anything that she has to, you know, wants to do in her life, which, you know, I love her for it. She's so honest. And I was like, we're different people. It's fine. She was completely supportive of our choice. It was just not for her. Right. Now, Luke, what did you think about all this when your parents said, all right, we're going to go traveling around the world? Because how old were you at that point? Eight. Okay. So you, seven, actually. No, I was seven. Seven. At that point, you told me. And um, also, that part that my mom just said, you hadn't told me that. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Well, what did you think when we told you? Um, I went, I pretty much went crazy. In a good way. But yes, in a good way. But the math that they drawn out on a piece of paper wasn't actually how it actually turned out to be. Where we actually went in the end. So was you guys changed course quite a bit during your travels. Well not during, but like they showed me like was it three months before? Mm-hmm. So I think they changed it up a little bit after they figured out that China was going to be below zero or something. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good thing. If, if temperature drops below zero, we'll probably cut that part of the trip out. What about the um, the schooling and like and and teachers or other parents? Because this is a thing that obviously I, I, not having kids, but I know how parents are of other kids. Like everyone knows best what's best for everyone's kid. Were, was there anyone there who's like, you can't do this? You can't take your kid out of school for nine months. You know, it was amazing. Our school was very supportive. That was another one of those just, you know, cross our fingers. And we had already made the decision to go when we told our school and we were just going to, you know, hope that they supported us. And they totally did. I mean, Luke was in the second grade and we, uh, Luke goes to a private school and actually the headmaster has traveled all over the world, which we didn't even realize before we started telling him about this. So he's been to more than 40 countries and was so excited for us as a family to take this adventure and knew how much Luke would learn on the road. And so they completely supported us with his curriculum and he FaceTimed with his second grade class throughout our trip. He did some pretty cool school projects that he got to present over FaceTime. So that was fun. That is, yeah, that's really neat. And it's really cool that there was a headmaster or someone in a position who's who has traveled because anyone who has would say, this is incredible experience for someone who's eight years old because they're going to have this the rest of your life where if, if they didn't, they might get caught up in the, well, what about math? What about reading? You know, not even realizing like, all right, come on. There's plenty of time to catch up on that or even stay ahead, um, you know, as you guys are traveling. What about the roles that each of you played on the trip? Because now there's there's three people. And when Heather and I travel, you know, we, we fall into different roles, but those change kind of depending on, on where we are. Was it what you expected when you set out or did they did they morph into other things? So the roles overall, um, I would say at a, at a high level, Suzanne and I would work on, you know, we generally had the plan together. But then when it came to executing the plan, I was responsible for transportation, securing all forms of transportation. And she took on the role of lodging and cruise director for daily activities Um and so we really, you know, it was, she's the master of Airbnb and knows every free walking tour around the globe now. And I, you know, know the ninja with miles and points and uh, sky scanner and finding, you know, travel methods all around the globe. So and then Luke was um, 
you know, constant supporter and uh, questioner of everything we did. <laughs> and I made sure they didn't go different directions by being the chain. Like when they tried to go different directions, I was just holding their hands and I was like, yeah. <laughs> right. You're going to pull me apart if you go too far. And obviously Luke was one who got you the free food all the time too, right? right? The free yeah. food. <laughs> so you've got one person doing lodging. Uh, getting good deals on lodging, one person's getting good deals on all the transportation, one person taking care of the food. So you guys talk about doing it on a budget. I guess you just need three people with three skill sets like that, right? Yeah. <laughs> what were some things that were different than you expected? So as Luke already mentioned, you know your, your plan shifted a little bit of where you were going to go, but whether it was from when you decided to set out to then when you actually did take off, what were some things that changed in there? And then from when you got on the road to actually being on the road, what were the things that, that you could point to where you're like, all right, this wasn't expected or, or this was what we thought and then this is what it actually looked like? So a couple of things along the way. So as Luke mentioned, we, we, we cut out China. We had China on the plan. Um, so our, the theme of our trip was you know, basically go west, right? So we, we went west and it was also chasing summer. So we started south and then worked our way, way north. And so what we realized was um, we were about to go. Our time for China would have been in kind of February, March. And we didn't really realize that until we were on the road. And we said, no, it's going to be the dead of winter. That's not what we where, where we need to be. And, you know, honestly, we felt like we, we wouldn't have done it justice on our budget and it was going to be too much. So we just said, you know what, that's the next trip around the world. We're going to hit Japan and China and Korea and lots of other places. Um, so that was one example. And then on the flip side, Egypt on our original itinerary and we were in Kenya and we were headed to Turkey. And when you look at that on a map, we said, wait a second, we're literally going to fly right over Egypt. Why would we not go see the pyramids? I mean, that's a bucket list item. And and so we literally made sort of a real time, hey, can we get a flight there? Can we make this happen? And we added um, added uh, Egypt, which I'm so glad we did. I mean, the pyramids are pretty amazing, and I'm glad that we got to see it. So those are a couple examples. I would also say we um, once we started researching Southeast Asia, we had Thailand and we had Vietnam, and I was reading a, a a lonely planet. And it was like, oh my gosh, Angkor Wat is in Cambodia between these two countries. Why would we not go there? Again, huge bucket list. It was ranked like number one site in the world. So that was great to know that in that research beforehand, we could make a few adjustments along the way. Yeah, which kind of brings up the next point, because one of the things I wanted to know, especially traveling with a family, was how far in advance did you plan it? And you kind of touched on this. You put your anchors in. And were those like very specific time periods? You're like, all right, well, we already have a flight to Kenya on this date, but everything else is going to be very fluid in between. Or were even those kind of fluid you just knew eventually we want to get here? Basically from home before we left, we were planning to depart. Uh, we left November 4th. So we're almost coming up on a year from when we left. But we basically planned from home all the way through Christmas because we knew Christmas might be a tricky time to book a place. It gets so crowded with the high season and everything. So we felt like those were the first weeks that we needed to have already planned. Um, and then really along the way, we... Again, we knew that we would go to Kenya, but we didn't actually have a time frame. We knew a, around the right month that we wanted to attend there. But our contact there, as we got closer to time, we sort of 
finalized the dates. And since we bought one-way tickets all the way, we could be flexible with our timing. And it was really funny because I'm a huge planner. I'm totally type A. And so our our lead time on planning got shorter and shorter and shorter the longer we traveled. And Mitch was so proud of me. He's yes. like, we don't have a place to stay in three nights and you're totally okay with it. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> so we we did do planning in advance. But once we got on the road, it, you know, it sort of became a process of research while we were traveling. And sometimes it got to be pretty last minute. And also in Kenya, we were going to try and meet my Nana there, but it didn't totally work out because she was coming three weeks after us, sadly. Mm, so you didn't, you didn't actually meet her then. That's yeah. right. She, but we did meet her later in France. Tough life. Hey, Nana, you can, we'll meet you in Kenya. Ah, maybe we'll catch you in France. Who knows? We'll see you somewhere on the, not on, in the U.S., not on our part of the world. Pretty neat. With, with that, uh, you talked about your planning and how it, I think that usually happens to most people. Um, either they go one way or the other. You know, you're on this trip and you either get super planned because you have a bad experience and you're like, oh, I slept in the gutter for a night and now like everything's planned for nine months. Or you just say, hey, this is actually working out. Like we're planned, but, but we want more time in here. And you kind of take it easier and you realize that most of the time, 99% of the time, it does work out. And so it's neat that to see you, Suzanne, go a little bit the other way and, and kind of take a step back and be a little more laid back. Were there any resources that you found very, very helpful, whether it be budget travel, family travel, or just anything for certain areas that you really, really liked? And we'll link all those up. Uh, yeah, so lots on Airbnb. I mean, it, Suzanne is now an Airbnb ninja. She under, knows, uh, this is one, this is a tip that we have. This is a small tip for Airbnb. If it's a young, single, uh, 20 year old male renting a place, hosting. You, hosting the place, you can assume that it will not be very clean. That's just, this is something that we learned along the way. Um, <laughs> So lots of Airbnb. We actually did a trusted house sitter. That was fantastic. Skyscanner for, for, for our flights and figuring out sort of a starting place of where we're going to get. Um, what are some other ones that we, Those were uh, you know, Agoda for some, you know, a few hotels and, in, in, oh, in and Abe. woofing. We loved woofing. Yeah. Talk about that because that's something I've never had experience doing. So what, I, at first, you could tell people what woofing is and then what your actual experience woofing was like. Yes. So woofing is willing workers on organic farms. And all around the world, you can do this cool volunteer opportunity. Mitch and I are not farmers. We are total city kids. But we thought, what a great opportunity to understand what a farm life is like. And so that was sort of one of our buckets. We kind of made it a goal. We chose Italy. We love Italy, and we had never been to uh, extreme southern Italy, like down in the heel of the boot. So we started looking at farms there and came upon an olive grove farm, uh, which also had animals, and they grew all their own food. And I, I think with woofing, you, you do have to do a lot of research because I think th they run the gamut in terms of what your job responsibilities are, what the housing situation is. And I mean, in the end, I think we, we got a little bit lucky because it was, it was the standard that we could handle. I mean, some of them you can just pitch a tent in their backyard, but we sort of needed like a bedroom and wanted our child to feel like he 
wasn't completely roughing it. Right. Um, so they were awesome. There was a, you know, a, a farm, a family, they've cooked food and we got to learn how to cook Italian food. Um, we worked on their farm yeah. and we were there for about a week and it was just one of the richest experiences for us. And it pushed us out of our comfort zone. I think once you get to Western Europe, after you've been in Southeast Asia and India and Africa, once you get to Europe, you're like, well, this is like vacation. Mm -hmm. So once we got there, we were like, we need to keep pushing ourselves. Otherwise, this is just going to be way too relaxing. Um, so yes, so woofing was a great way to do that. And that was a big tenant of your trip. And, and if you guys go to ruttotheledge.com, you'll see that is is this idea of pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, which we talk a lot about on the podcast. But can you speak to some of the other ways that you did? I mean, woofing, huge one. I mean, I, the only people I know who have ever done woofing are single people or couples. You know, I've, I've never seen anyone do it with a, with a child. And I'm sure there are a, a large amount of people who do. But that's really neat that you kept pushing yourself. What were some other things that you did specifically to say, all right, this might be harder. Uh, this might not be as comfortable or as, or as glamorous, but we're going to do it for the sole purpose of getting out of our comfort zone and keeping that kind of thing alive. That's right. Yeah. So a couple of places. So we had never been to Asia before. So I think Asia in general was a little... Uh, you know, that's just the first time you're there. It's a little out of your comfort zone. We, uh, we ended up going on, a um, over the over new year's actually, we're like, all right, we want to find a place a little more remote. So we went to Koyao Noi. I don't know if you know, did you ever make it down I, to Koyao Noi? I've never been there. I know of it, but I've never been there. So, you know, it's still down, you know, one of the islands down there in the, in the, I guess the Thai sea, uh, but it was pretty, pretty remote. I mean, so that was a little bit of a, you know, Hey, wow, we're not just going to Thailand to a beach resort. We're getting, you know, pretty off the beaten path, which was, which was kind of the first out of our comfort zone. Um, India as a whole was us out of our comfort zone. We, we, we are, we are kindred uh, brothers on India. Uh, we, I, I got my merit badge. I've, I've earned my, um, <laughs> I did my tour duty in India for all the people out there that love India, good, good for you. Uh, I'm glad we we um, we tried. We tried. We we're there three weeks, and we met some amazing people. But it is not my not on my next trip. Yeah, if I don't make it back to India that quickly, I will be okay. I mean, eventually I want to. And if someone told me tomorrow that they had a trip planned to India, I I'd still go. But I don't need to go. Um, what was it? Where did you go in India? And what was it about India? Because as you're saying, and I'm just shaking my head and laughing. Like it's, it's just I understand what you're saying. But what was it about India that that was more difficult than some of the other places that you had been? Um, so we were there for three weeks. We did the the triangle, right? We did uh, Delhi, um, Jaipur, and Agra. So we have that only that kind of one specific area. I will tell you that we as much as it challenged us and we didn't love it, we did make some of our closest friends there. We got plugged in with a local community, actually through a local church. And we had an amazing experience with, you know, it was, it was actually during Lent and over there every night they do kind of a small group study at people's different houses. And they invited us to this uh, every single night we were going to these local people's houses. So we got this very intimate local experience eating with them and, you know, just fellowship with them. And it was truly amazing. But the challenges for me in India were the trash everywhere. 
the pollution, you know, that, that the trees are not green, that they're covered in this, you know, this haze. It's like, you know, it's just this crazy post-apocalyptic kind of view. That's terrible to say, but it, you know, that was just the thing that came to our mind. Um, the, the chaos, you know, the sound, the honking, the, just the madness. I mean, I basically everything. Well, other than the people and the food, right? Well, that's exactly right. The people and the food, I'm cool with. Everything else really is not my jam. So, yeah. Luke, was there a place that you found to be very difficult or harder for you than than maybe other places? India. Okay, India as well. All right. So, yeah, India. India. Yeah, it's a it's a tough tough go and i think that um maybe i i keep telling myself this might not be true i'll have to let you guys know if i go back i keep saying oh the second time i go it'll be to- totally different because i'll know what to expect maybe maybe that's true or maybe i'll know what to expect and i still will think okay now i uh, this is what i expected and it's not exactly what i want so um all right so india was very tough why don't and and we didn't even ask this at the top of the show what was your route, actually, what did your route end up being? Because you said you were chasing summer and you were going west. So how, like, what was your route and how did it break down for time periods, kind of? Like, how long did you spend in each place? So we <clears throat> were attempting to travel slow, which we just listened to your debate on the podcast, Slow Versus Fast, and it is truly a debate uh, because we we had a tough time slowing down. But when we did slow down, we really loved learning how to be a part of a community. So that was our goal. Um, We started in New Zealand and Australia, and we spent a month there. So even though we're technically traveling slow, we're going to a few cities at a time. Uh, And then we, uh, from Australia, we went up to Southeast Asia. We did Thailand, Cambodia, Vietnam. And then we spent uh, 10 days in Hong Kong for Chinese New Year, which was super cool. So we didn't hit mainland China, but we were in Hong Kong. Yeah, the, war- the warmer part. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and then from Hong Kong, we spent three weeks in India. And then we went down to Kenya. And from Kenya, we went, we had that quick stop in Egypt. And then we spent a month in Turkey, which was unbelievable. Um, Turkey. And then we spent a month in Croatia, which was just as unbelievable. It was amazing. Uh, and then we spent a month in Italy, France, uh, quick stop in Barcelona. And then we ended our trip in England for a month, for a month. And where in there did you house it? Cause you mentioned you had tried house sitting. Yes. We got a great experience on trusted house sitters in England. Actually, uh, it was very close to where Mitch and I lived when we lived in England. That was another one of our anchor spots. We knew we wanted to spend time back in that area of London. It's called Richmond. It's a suburb of London and it's fantastic. So I, I basically stalked people on trusted house sitters for about six months. Anyone that was anywhere near where we wanted to be, even if I couldn't do their dates, I would reach out to them and say, I can't do that date. However, if you go on holiday next July, please let me know. We really want to stay there. We have lived there before. We love pets, et cetera, et cetera. So, and we also saw their old house. That's right. They, we got to visit our old house. But Very thank, neat. thankfully, a family reached out to us. And they happened to be an American expat family living in London. And they were coming back to the States for July 4th for two weeks. So it was the perfect fit for us. We got to live in their house and take care of their two awesome dogs for two weeks. One of them is blind. Yes. 
So we, um, we got to just be in our old neighborhood and just live uh, where we loved to live before. Uh, but Trusted House Sitters is great because it's free and London is not cheap. So it was perfect. Now, was that, did you get that because it was someone you had reached out to previously or was it someone who actually posted? So you, it was, it was due to your perseverance, let's say. Absolutely. She reached out to me after we had corresponded over the course of about three or four months. And she said, I know you're looking for July and we've just booked our plans. We're going to go out for two weeks in July. We'd love to have you come. So that was that really worked out well. And I think that that's a really neat tip for anyone who does have a very specific thing that they want to do. You know, trust the outsiders and all the housing sites are great for you know, I get the email every day and I just look. I can't ever do any of them or not most of them. But it's like cool to just think, oh, where is this place? And then look at it on a map. But if you have a very specific thing, especially if if you're on this long trip and you want to cut costs and it's going to be for a long time, it's going to be an expensive area like, like London or most of Western Europe. If you start reaching out to people ahead of time and you have specific dates, I mean, the you know, you kind of forget, but these are people as well. So if you say, hey, if you're going away next July, well, that might put a little bug in the area to think, Oh, this is cool. Well, this is really easy. Now I can go away and not have to worry about it. This is neat. Why don't we go away? And and there's all types of things that can come up. So hadn't thought of it as like to preemptively strike people on uh, on house sitting websites, but it, that works. That's really neat. It was a great experience. What were because we just talked about a lot of the the whole trip. What were some of the highlights? I know this is hard. You could give honorable mentions. You don't even have to rank them. But what just in the top of your head when you look back on the trip? What were a few of the things you say, all right, this is this was just an amazing, amazing time, whether it's a place or a person or or anything like that? Um, so my three and these were countries, which is hard. Italy, Australia and England. All right. And what what about those three countries, Luke, did you like? Why those three? Oh, and honorable mention Thailand. <laughs> nice. All right. Good. Glad you got the honorable mention. What did you like about Italy, Australia, and England the most? Um, in Italy, I think it was the Ferrari factory. How we got to visit the Ferrari factory and see all those, and the gelato, and just Italy, the culture. And so, tell them what you loved about Australia. I loved about Australia how we had friends there. And the fact that the Great Barrier Reef is there. We got to snorkel. And my dad got to scuba dive in the Great Barrier Reef. So that was really fun. Yeah, that is pretty epic. What about England then? What did you love about England? I just, same. I just like the culture. and Dog sitting was fun. Dog sitting was fun. And we had friends there. Yeah. And we had friends there too. Basically the same as, Eng- as Australia. Yeah, and I I think one of the cool things, too, when you do a trip like that and you've seen so many different things, it's nice, as you mentioned, coming back to Western Europe felt like vacation for you guys because you're done like harder traveling and then you got back. And then, of course, when you get to England and and even Australia as well, um, it's it's similar and that. If you've done a lot of other traveling, that can be a very, very nice experience. I know when Heather and I went to Australia, we were living in Japan. And so going to Australia was almost like coming home to the States. And it was just so nice to be able to chat with people in your lo- in the same language. A lot of stuff was similar. Like it was different enough that it was fun, but it wasn't every day just getting bombarded with stuff like what is happening, which is great most of the time, but sometimes you need a break. And, and honestly, that, that 
it was a little bit, we made a conscious decision with that route for that exact reason of we wanted to cut. So we knew New Zealand and Australia would kind of ease into this travel and say, you know, because we just dropped ourselves in Bangkok, you know, who knows, that could have been tragic. So we sort of eased our, we said, okay, the first month we'll figure out how we're going to travel together and what do we need to do and all those kinds of things. And then we'll get to Asia and it'll be a little more challenging and that'll be, a, you know, we'll be testing ourselves a little bit more. And then India, we're like, we knew India was going to be like, that'll be, we're going to, that's going to be our biggest uh, challenge or, you know, we'll be on the ledge, as we like to say, we'll be furthest out on the ledge and, and same in Africa. And then we'll sort of finish with Europe and that'll be a nice, you know, uh, as Suzanne said, there'll be more vacation than, than, uh, than challenge. But, um, so it was a little bit conscious. So just going back to your question. So I'll just give you two amazing experiences for us. So, um, in Turkey, hot air balloon ballooning over Cappadocia and Cappadocia as a whole was just an amazing, uh, place and experience. That was just a fantastic, um, uh, I really, and Turkey's definitely in my, in, in my very up on the top places on the whole trip. Uh, and a second one or honorable mention was, uh, back in Croatia, the town of Ravine, which is up there in the Northern part in Istria. Um, you guys need to, I don't know if that's, if you've been there, but that place is amazing. And just, I, I have, I will all, when I have rough days, I will remember sitting on the rocks in Ravine, watching the sunset over the water with eating our, caramel. Yeah, eating caramel and, and drinking a nice glass of wine uh, and, you know, a charcuterie plate picnic was just, that's my happy place. Uh, well, as soon as Heather listens to this podcast, we'll be flying there the next day because, I mean, wine, charcuterie, caramel, and looking out over the sunset is basically does it. And we've never been to Ravine, actually, but a, a really good friend of mine who's been on the podcast quite a bit, uh, my buddy Nick, one of his favorite places, he keeps saying, like, yeah, I know you love Croatia. I know you love the, like the coast down there, Dubrovnik. It's but get up into Istria. So that's that's definitely on the hit list coming up soon. Suzanne, anything different for you? Any other places that stick out for you? I would say I was so pleasantly surprised with Vietnam. Oh, right. We started in Hoi An, which turned out to be my favorite city in Vietnam. It is quintessentially um, it's French architecture. It's it's Vietnamese food. The people are lovely and it's small. So we rode bicycles. We stayed in a homestay, which I was not familiar with, but it's the Vietnamese version of a bed and breakfast. And the family that we stayed with really became our family. We had been gone for a few months at that point, And I think I was a little bit homesick maybe because we just took to this family. They served us dinner. We had two nights of dinner with them and they were just so kind to us. But all the activities in Hoi An and in Vietnam, we took amazing cooking courses and we took a free bicycling tour all around the island in Hoi An. So that to me, oh, and we ate an amazing banh mi from um, Anthony Bourdain's recommendation for a dollar, which is like, we almost ate there every day. <laughs> so I think and Vietnam, awesome. Vietnam for me was such a pleasant surprise. I was a little bit concerned about how they would uh, accept Americans and American tourists, but we were 
so welcomed and the people were just lovely. Is that on your list? Will you go to Vietnam trip? Yeah, I, we, we haven't been. Somehow we've missed it throughout. Like every time we go back to Thailand, we kind of get stuck in Thailand. Easy to do, I think. Um, so Vietnam definitely on, on our list as well. And now that there's a $1 bond me that I know I have to get, I mean, that just anything that's on our list skyrockets to the top when it's cheap, good food. Uh, so it's like, yeah, that's enough reason to get on a plane today and head on over. Um, you, you talked a little bit about, about well, we talked a lot about budget travel and how you cut costs. Just rattle off a few of the things that you found to really, really help when it came to accommodations or flights or eating or any, uh, any of the above. I would say um, we did a lot of research on travel blogs. You know, we loved getting food recommendations from you. Um, but just being in Southeast Asia in general, it's so inexpensive that we loved the street food and we felt like it was reasonably priced, but also delicious. You know, we didn't feel like we were skimping by eating the, the, the uh, street mm -hmm. food. Um, in terms of accommodations, I think, you know, those homestays are a great deal. Again, I think it's probably a lot around the region that you visit. I mean, as you know, Croatia is so much less expensive than the rest of Europe. Our Airbnbs were one to two bedroom apartments for less than $50 a night. And you just, it's hard to find that when they're really nice, as nice as they were in Croatia. You can't find that in a lot of the other countries in Western Europe. So yeah, a couple things I think is being able to balance your costs by having a free place to stay, either woofing or house sitting or whatever. So if you have that for a week or two for free, then the rest of your budgeting becomes much easier because you know when you're balancing, when you're averaging against zero, it makes it, you know, you can go to the next place you can spend 75 or, you know, $100 a night, and then it's you're averaging at 50. That was kind of where we wanted to be overall. So, um, you know, we, I travel a lot for work. So I took advantage of every point and mile that I ever collected and, you know, did some credit card hacks to get some more miles and points to use across the way. And we, you know, we would sort of save those for places where we knew it would be expensive, right? So like Hong Kong, we, um, used a, a bunch of, of points because we knew that would be an expensive city, right? And then the other thing is, I think, is to your point of if you just put it out there what your intentions are, there's so many people will help you. Like in Hong Kong, we were staying with our friends in Australia and we were telling them we were going to Hong Kong. And my, my buddy there said, oh, my brother-in-law, he has an apartment in Hong Kong. He's a pilot. I'm sure you can stay there. And we're like, oh, well, we don't want to impose. He's like, he's only there like six nights a month. It's no big deal. And so all of a sudden we got this amazing apartment for half the time. And, and you know, not even really asking. You just put out there what your plans are and people take care of you. So I think you just be, to your point, put your intentions out there and people want to help you because they know you're, you know, they lo people love to – you have an epic adventure. They want to be a part of it. Yeah. Anytime you're balancing against zero, I, I agree. Anytime we staying with a friend for a couple nights or we get a hotel, we use our hotel points for a couple nights or anything like that. I just feel so much more liberated because all of a sudden you're not spending anything on accommodation. So you're like, well, you're, you're almost just sitting like, oh, I can do whatever I want. And um, it is. It, it helps that average come really, really down. And I think that there's so many opportunities now, whether it be wolfing, house sitting, staying with friends, any of the stuff that you mentioned. It, it really helps when you can take some big chunks and and really pay and pay nothing for accommodations because the rest of the way, it's just it's helping you along because accommodations, even if you do it cheap, unless you're in Southeast Asia, I mean, even $50, $75 a night, which is a good deal. 
will add up over nine months. I mean, that's a lot of money over nine months. So when you guys were traveling, was there an end date? Because I, I, I heard you say kind of in the, in the beginning of the show, you mentioned, oh, yeah, nine months or however long we were going to travel. And that made me think, wait, did they not have an end date? What was the like, what, how did it end? Why did it end? Well, the end date was August 4th, so we did it exactly nine months. And why did we get back? We got back so that he could go to the third grade. Yeah, that, 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 was, the real, that was the real driver. And was. number two, we were running out of money. <laughs> two good reasons. Yeah, you know, if I could win the lottery, we'd still be going, but I haven't, so. <laughs> yeah, we've been buying lottery tickets every week. <laughs> right, it's like, yeah, this will work. All right, so you, you did have a, a pretty specific end date when you took off on the trip. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And what was it like? Because this is this is very different, I think, from almost maybe any guest we've had on the show before with this gap year, but a family gap year, because most of the time then people either end up continuing to travel or, or stuff like that. What was it like readjusting to normal life when you got back? Because I know what it was like for me when I came from Japan and having to come back, and it's a little different than I thought it would be. What about for you three? Well, I think it's definitely been an adjustment. Um, thankfully, we love our town. Athens, Georgia is a fantastic place to live. And we we did miss our community and miss our friends. So that was the positive part of coming home. I think the hard part for me has been um, two things. The fact that the three of us aren't together all of the time. You know, I think we really enjoyed ex- adventuring together and experiencing things together. And so we're not all together experiencing things on a daily basis now. So that's kind of a bummer. But it's also hard to jump back into this hectic American lifestyle. We were on our own pace. You know, like I said, we really tried to travel slow and just take it easy and enjoy all the simple things and in life. And it was successful that we traveled slow. We did. But it was um, hard to come back and jump into his school activities and our work. And even the the fun things that are going on, they just they build out your calendar so fast, you just your head spins. That's a, a good friend of mine, Cole Kelly, said when we came back, he was asking me about adjusting, and, and he sort of put it this way, and I've embraced it as, we so many places around the world they live simply, and I think when we traveled we were living simply. But here in America we focus on living, you know, making our life easier. And easier isn't simple; those are different things, right? We try to cram so much in, and just we focus on how do we be more efficient, right? It's more about I want to be more efficient, cram more into my day, and so we're trying to be very conscious about not cramming too much into our days so that we can appreciate, you know, the things that we do and the places that we've been. So. Um, you know, it has been an adjustment and it's part of, you know, the purpose of this trip was to get out of our comfortable rut and, you know, get out on the ledge. And so now, you know, we're back home and I won't say we're back in our comfortable rut, but we're trying to manage, you know, a routine, but not be monotonous. That's so that's the biggest, hardest adjustment. And um, I can't now I and I still can't wake up early enough for school. My mom has to come in and wake me up because, well, Luke, were you waking up whenever you wanted on the trip? You were not waking up early, right? I had but I was only allowed to come out of my room after seven. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have an alarm clock unless there was a flight to catch. So and, it was nice. I think that, yeah, it is this idea, and this is, Heather and I just got back from two months, and I I actually consciously try to put some things in place to do exactly what you're saying, Mitch, not, 
fall back into the rut. Not that it's a bad rut, but this go, go, go. And I said, all right, how can we just simplify and take things slower? Because you think, oh, that was vacation and now I have to get back to it. But there's so much that you can glean from that and put in your everyday life. And again, we've been home a couple of weeks and I'm looking at the calendar and I'm already thinking, okay, next week and these people are coming over. Then we're doing this. And it's all good things and it's all fun. But all of a sudden, you're just looking at it and you're thinking, I have so much going on. And yet then I was traveling and I had nothing going on and nothing was different. I mean, maybe work, you know, obviously getting back into work's different, but it was just a different mindset because when you're in those countries and those cultures, as you said, it, it's it's a simple thing. It's it's not everything crammed into one. You're not trying to go, go, go. You're just saying, hey, what do we want to do today? And what's the most fun and what's the most enjoyable and relaxing? And it, it's hard to keep it because even in three weeks, I've tried to and I'm still feeling that like angst maybe of going, going, going. So I can I can totally understand. What about coming back to normal life, coming back, like even logically, coming back, getting jobs, um, was that easier than you thought, harder than you thought, um, getting, obviously Luke's going to the same school again and you took back your, your same house, so that was not a big detriment, but what about the other stuff that you had to come back and then, quote unquote, do to get back to normal life? All that is exactamundo right. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, you know, I feel very thankful that we came back. It was a, it was really confirmation to us that we made the right decision and taking this leap of faith was the right thing to do because Mitch was offered a job with his same company. Um, I'm actually with a different company, but I found a job within three weeks. Um, you know, it was, it was very affirming that you can step away from your life and you can come back and still be successful in this life, even though you've taken that risk. Um, so I, I feel like we've really successfully gotten back to where we started um, financially. And um, I think the mental part is really just the challenge, yeah. you know, just getting back into that mental place of this is our community. This is where we live. And we loved your podcast about um, how you guys try to kick the rut, you know. So when, blues, you, when you've yeah. got the blues, how you, uh, how you get out of it. And we did a very similar um, challenge to ourselves on one of our last days on our trip. We challenged ourselves and built, um, we did a blog post on how many uh, goals that we would set as a family to do activities and things that we loved on the trip and challenged ourselves to do that at home. You know, it's taking family bike rides and finding a nearby waterfall and taking a cooking class or cooking some of those things that we loved on our trip that we learned how to cook. You know, we came home with all these recipe books from cooking schools and we still have not done one of the recipes. We've got to do it. Yeah. You, you, I heard that one and you know, we're the same way. How many sunsets or sunrises do you watch at home? Right. I, and none, I, never. I, I saw more in nine months than I've seen in my entire life. And, you know, we were just conscious about, yeah, why wouldn't we go have a picnic and watch the sunset? And here, you know, when does that cross your mind here at home? So we, we're trying to be more deliberate and, and conscious of those things, but it is very hard to, to think about that. Yeah, I mean, here's one that's been on my list forever. And I still I thought about it two days ago and I was down in, in Philadelphia in the city was I've always said, I'm going to do a free walking tour of Philadelphia. I've done it of tons of cities around the world. Love it. And I never ever do it. In Philly. And I keep saying, when I come home, I'm going to do it. And I still haven't done it. And it's one of those things where 
Why? I don't know. And, and, and even telling myself I'm going to do it, I still don't do it. So I think it is. It's setting that intention saying, like, I'm going to, on this day, we're going to do, or every Tuesday, we're going to cook a recipe from our, uh, from our cookbook, whatever it is. And you just build it into a habit. And I, I, I think if you don't make a really, really strong effort to do it, even saying you're going to do it is enough. It has to like, there has to be a date or something around it. Um, because I still have never taken that walking tour in Philadelphia. So I'm with you guys. It's it's doing the things that you would do when you're traveling, when you get home. But when you're traveling, it's so easy because that's the point of it, right? And, and you're surrounded by it. And here you have to force yourself not to go on Netflix or, or just whatever it is you're doing, work more or, or anything like that. Um, of course, we got to ask the question about a travel mishap. You had nine months. There's three of you, um, you know, doing the math that uh, probably puts us at like 300 travel mishaps. So, um, what was one that you can point to to say, all right, this was like an epic travel mishap that we always tell people so, now. So, uh, we had, uh, we had two. So the first one that I think was, uh, daylight savings time is the ultimate, killer, right? So literally we're in Turkey. We're supposed to catch a flight to Croatia. Uh, we set our alarms for 4am to catch the, you know, we got a, um, we were actually out in Cappadocia and we didn't realize that that was the night that it was changing daylight savings time. So we wake up an hour later and we got to go, you know, we were supposed to catch a bus to get to the airport and all that kind of good stuff. Well, we missed the bus clearly. And so, you know, 4 a.m. We're bleary-eyed, and we got to find a taxi to get this hour ride to the to the airport to get to the um, to catch our flight. So we wake the guy up at the hotel. You know how in those little hotels the guy's like sleeping on the couch. Yeah, so he's, right. Take him awake, and he's you know doesn't know what's happening. We need a taxi. He gets us a car. We get in it. You know what was supposed to be a five dollar bus ride turned into a ninety five dollar taxi ride. So it happens, right? Those things happen. We literally just catch our flight. So you know, in the end, it was okay. But that was probably one of the worst ones. Just you know, daylight save. The iPhone failed us. It, for some reason, it, the alarm didn't switch with daylight savings time in the middle of Turkey. So there's a. So it goes. Beware of when everybody changes a different day on daylight savings. Um, Honestly, we had one canceled flight the entire trip. We were in Marseille. Uh, you know, British Airways canceled our flight an hour before, and they couldn't get us on a flight that night, so we had to find a place to stay in Marseille. In the end, you know, it happens. This was towards the end of the trip, and I think we said to ourselves, "Wow, we've been we've been very lucky and blessed that this is the only canceled flight." So I would say those are some of the worst. We had a couple of crazy tuk tuk rides in India. But, uh, you know, daylight savings time, beware, it, it can be a killer. Luke, was that the one that you were thinking of? The cancel flight, yes. Okay. And, and, my, and we actually had to split up. I think that was the only time on the whole trip we had to split up. Because my mom had to get there to talk to the owner of the house of the housing thing. Um, so she could take care of the dogs. And then we had to split up, and me and my dad got there two hour, two hours later. So I think that was the only time on the whole trip that we had to split up to get to a place. Trav, you, I mean, I couldn't believe we we made it through India. Nobody got sick. Wow. Uh, I, yeah, that's a, that's shocking. You guys are living on borrowed time now. That's right. That's right. We're living on borrowed time. That's right. What, was there any sicknesses throughout the whole time? Like anything uh, when it comes to health? Or were you guys pretty good for nine months? 
I got a cold and I got a pulled muscle at the same time. So every time I cough with my cold, I it, my hips really hurt. <laughs> so that was about the worst combination you can get. <laughs> the double whammy cold and pulled muscle, man. Oh, jeez, yeah. you're getting old, Luke. Eight years old, you know. <laughs> We were incredibly lucky that we did not have any major sicknesses. I mean, I think a few of us had a little bit of a tummy thing, but never something that kept us in the bed or kept us from doing our regular routine. So kind of a miracle because I really thought in Asia or in India, at some point, one of us would go down. Yeah. Well, that just means you guys were uh, you were born to travel. So you got to do it more. What what exactly. <laughs> what is in the pipeline for you? Is there another trip coming up? Do you have anything planned in the works? Yeah, so we're working on literally as we speak. We got a pile of travel books downstairs. Uh we're thinking uh Belize or Costa Rica um is kind of the next next one that we're thinking about and for then spring break. And, for spring break and then uh, possibly a West Coast uh, road trip, kind of San Diego, L.A., Santa Barbara kind of scenarios. So those are the, the two that are in the works right now. Lucas said when we were on the Great Barrier Reef, the guy who um, was on our boat, our dive master, Luke asked him, well, when can I scuba dive? And the guy said, well, you have to be 12 years old to scuba dive. So Luke's said that we're going back to the Great Barrier Reef when he turns 12. So oh, those are all we have. You got to get a calendar and just start checking off. That's a lot of days, though. That's like a three-year calendar, right? That's right. <laughs> and also, um, he said, if you learn, if you get your diver's license on the boat, on their boat, um, you get to stay there for four days for free, um, sort of helping on the boat. But yeah. you also get to get two dives a day. Luke, you're just getting everything for free. I'm going to start traveling with you, man. Free gelato and free diving. That's like that's right up my alley right there. So those those trips for you all will be uh, I guess shorter trips then. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we uh uh someday we will put the we, I mean we definitely are talking about the next trip around the world, but uh we can't put a date on that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, not yet. Now that Luke's home, now he gets sick, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, Suzanne, Mitch, Luke, thank you so much for joining me today for showing people that these trips aren't only for people who are who a want to leave their old life completely and never come back. And they're not just these gap years aren't just for people who are 18 or 20. Anyone can do it. You can be eight. You can be turning 40. You can be any circumstance, any family situation. It's really awesome to see you guys doing it as a family uh, nine months around the world. Remind people one more time how they can come find out about you, how they can connect. If, if other families want to do it, other people are thinking about doing it, how can they get a hold of you? We would love for them to visit our uh, travel blog. It's ruttotheledge.com. And um, yes, you can connect with us there. I've also written a few blogs for the Huffington Post. If you've got kids and you want to do some family travel, I um, was inspired a lot on the trip and was able to write uh, a few articles about how to do that. Awesome. And Luke, you are the youngest person ever to come on the podcast. So you get a trophy for that, a virtual trophy, because I don't have an actual trophy to send you. But thanks for coming on. Thank you so much. Yeah. It was great talking to you. Great to Youngest talk to you. person ever on the podcast. 
podcast. That's yeah. right. And and I think you might hold that for quite a while. I mean, we have no one playing that's going to beat that record so far. So um, awesome, guys. Thanks so much. We will link everything up in the show notes. Uh, that's Rut to the Ledge, which is a play on their last name, if you didn't pick up on that in the beginning. But that'll be linked up, and we'll also be linking up any of the Huffington Post articles as well, so you guys can easily find them, um, navigate from there, check out all the stories they have of their nine-month round-the-world trip, and of course, connect with them. Uh, don't forget, if you want to get the show notes or any of the show notes for any of the podcasts we've done, extra pack of peanuts.com slash pods. Of course, you can find the uh, podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher. Um, if you're looking for good backpacks, tour2backpacks.com. Use the promo code EPOP, all capital letters, 10% off any of your orders. And guys, thank you again so much for joining me today. I'm, I'm really lucky that I got all three of you sitting down for an hour to come on the podcast. That, that's awesome. Well, we love this. Us. Thank yeah. you so much. Awesome. Uh, don't forget, if you guys want to follow us and uh, as we travel too, we've been doing a lot on Instagram and Twitter, at Pack of Peanuts. You can also find Extra Pack of Peanuts on Facebook. We just throw up pictures. Um, thank you for tuning in today. Thanks for the continued support, as always. It keeps us the number one ready travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. Thanks, guys. <laughs>